0: And now it's my delight to introduce our spiritual director, a mentor and advisor of consciousness and love in this community, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Good morning. I went through a box of Kleenex during the first service, so I just want to let you know. that. All right, so we're going to hold the whole world in our consciousness as we sing a song today and say a prayer. If you'd like to stand and sing with me, please feel free. If not, stay seated. This very room there's quite enough love for all the world, and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world, and there's quite enough love. And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For Spirit One Spirit Is in this very room In this very room This very room. Let us come together in that beautiful knowing, one life, perfect life, God's life, and that life is our life in every moment. And so we gather today, first and foremost, in remembrance and celebration and recognition of that, and knowing that as we stand in that together, as we bring ourselves to this present moment awareness that we are a blessing everywhere we are. A blessing for this community, for Edmonton, for Canada, and for the world. So let us know that, that the, the vibrant, resonant expression of unconditional love for self and for others radiates out from this space and touches lives we can't even imagine in that unspoken way, this powerful and beautiful and wonderful. So I just give thanks, standing in that flow of life, that divine vibration of the Most High. I know every good thing necessary for each and every one to realize in each and every moment is made clearer and clearer and clearer. For this, I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me: "And so it is." Thank you, Brown. Thank you, Carmian. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, all the guys and gals of the band. So uh, today it's it's um, it is Labor Day weekend, and we are celebrating today. And celebration of good work is what uh, I wanted to share with you today. There's a beautiful uh, po- there's a poem written at the Pathways of Roses by Christian Larson. I think I called him Anderson at the first series uh, service, so we'll call him his right name. Uh, But he was a a writer and, and mystic and teacher years and years ago. And he wrote a beautiful poem in Pathways of the Roses. And I want to share that with you to begin our conversation today. To live always in the secret place of the Most High. To think only those thoughts that are inspired from above. To do all things in the conviction that God is with us. To give the best to all the world with no thought of reward. To leave all recompense to him who doeth all things. To love everybody as God loves us and be kind as he or she is kind. To ask God for everything and in faith expect everything. To live in perpetual gratitude to him or her who gives everything. To love God so much that we can inwardly feel that presence and I are one. This is the prayer without ceasing, the true worship of the soul. So when we talk about work... I think that's a wonderful that 's a wonderful expression. That guy is so excited about hearing what I have to say. he can't stand leaving the room. that 's okay. I 'll give you a CD afterwards. It'll be all right that 's the story I 'm making up about that anyway. Don't you love it when somebody just wants to be in the room so bad they 'll scream and kick and holler? So our work our work is really. As metaphysicians, as people that, 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 you know, there's an artistry to what we do that calls us to, to do it. And, and to be able to shift the perspective, our perspective on things as they appear um, is important. And it's a challenge because the world will tell us many, many things because there's, if your propensity is one for uh, pessimism, you can extract that from the environment and you can, and you can talk about that extensively. But we're celebrating work. One of the things that poet David White writes about in, in his work is he talks about, as a young man, having the vision of of one day he would speak before a, a, an audience. He would be an orator. And he didn't know what it was. He was 11 years old. He talks about sitting on a, a stone wall as a young man in northern England and, and talking about this call and this sort of this nudging forward and he didn't know what it was all about but he saw himself one day speaking before crowds of people he's an amazing amazing presenter and I love him he's an artist he's a poet and he uses his poetry to help shift consciousness on the planet which was what I love because I think that you know when, when we get into a box one of the challenges with what we do is we have this thing called the science of mind and religious science and as soon as we share that with people all of a sudden they put us in a box and say oh you're guys and really, David Whitey shows up and says, I don't know anything about religion, and I don't know anything about spirituality, but let me tell you a poem, which is all about spirituality. And he talks about that. He said, I come from the Irish tradition where someone will be, you know, going through trouble with the family or going through trouble in a relationship or with work. And, he'll, and he said, his, his, one of his mentors, I don't know if it was a grandfather who it was, would say, I don't know anything about that. Don't know a thing about that. But let me tell you about this. And then, of course, would tell a story that would relate directly to the to, to what was being informed. And there's an artistry in that. Because one, as soon as we, we say, hey, I'm, I'm this or I'm that, all of a sudden we do the reflective thinking, we go into the past, and all of a sudden it, it, it puts a veil up that keeps us from having the real conversation. One of the things I love about what uh, Carla does when she sings is she's so at peace with who she is. She, she just simply belongs to herself when she shares her music. And she has this beautiful, clear, piercing voice. That just right to your heart. And and when she's relaxed in her artistry, we get a chance to relax. When we we come together, we're having this conversation together. So David White talks about that. He also talks about it. I read this at the first service, and then I realized that I probably bored everybody. But he talks about how important work is. And so I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to paraphrase it. He talks about how important it is. It's always about informing us who we think we are and who, who we're called to be and that relationship and he said a lot of our work as we go through life is based on wrong he calls it wrong headedness which is the idea that we figured out what we're going to do and we're going to pursue this path I will read you that portion because it's really wrong headedness it's really important wrong headedness but determined direction is far better than none at all it may be in fact that most of the great work done by individuals through history has often been accomplished through long years of dedicated wrong headedness Wrong direction, or no human society, or human societies have always intuited the powerful necessity of a gravitational pull youths must follow to find their way. I have, I have a number of young people that are finding their way right now in my life. My daughter Megan is one of the joys and loves of my life, and she's so unique. She's 28 years old, and she's just, she learns like, she learns in her own way. In other words, she's never really excelled academically, but she's very bright. I see her genius. And as her dad, I just want life to be wonderful. I want to keep her wrapped in bubble wrap and keep her in the closet and let her out every once in a while for food and air and then go back in there, honey. But it doesn't work that way. And so one of the th- great things, one of the great joys is that she's always wanted to work with children, but because academically she has not, that's not been her path, she's got a bit of a, a learning challenge based on some, um, some things that... It, she was born with a condition, and, and so she's got a bit of a cognitive challenge. So she doesn't read real well, in other words. And she's always wanted to work with kids. She's always tried to get a certification so she could work in preschool and things like that, and she's never been able to pull that off. And so what she did is she went online and she found a job through an agency to be an au pair, to be an nanny. And so she just left to go to Spain for a year to work with these two young kids. And I got to tell you, as her dad, there's nothing, was, the great joy in my life is that she found her way, she did it herself and she's doing this thing and she's going to go to another country and it's going to open up her horizons and she's going to just, it's just, oh, I can't tell you guys, I'm just so excited for her. But it's been her determination and she had to find her own way. And and with all of the children that I'm intimately connected with, they're fine in their own way. When I was a young man, I went to L.A. and I wanted to be an actor. I shared this at the first service. I won't make it as long as I did there, but I went there and I had all these things. I was going to be an actor and I spent most of my youth in high school and university and and developing and doing play after play after play because I wanted this thing. I wanted to connect and I wanted to, you know, this was the And it was such a beautiful vehicle for me. And then at one point in time, I had this, uh, I I did a play. I did a play with Patrick Swayze. And I was his best friend for about a year in this play. And it was an award-winning play. And I I was approached by an agency. And I was approached by a manager. I signed with the manager. I signed with the agency. And I'd been with the agency about six months. And I hadn't gotten any work. But I was reading for all kinds of neat stuff. I mean, big stuff. Big, big, big stuff. And really intimidating. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go read for this. I gotta, I'm, I'm writing right now about my, my adventure with Robert Mitchum, which you'll have to buy the book to read about, but it's a wonderful story. Anyway, but anyway, so I, I'm doing this thing, and I, I hadn't worked, and my agent called me one day on the phone. Her name was Hildy Gottlieb, and Hildy, Hildy is married to uh, Walter Hill, and Walter Hill's a great director. He was an apprentice to Sam Peckinpah. And Walt, he's done a lot of these real macho kind of very action, a lot of violence in the movie. Anyway, Hildy married Walter. But Hildy was my first agent. She said, I want to sign you. I went in and did my audition pieces for the agency and they said, we love you. You don't need to think about this. We'll sign you right now. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So six months go by, no work. And I'm freaking. And she calls one day and said, hey, I want to have lunch with you. And I'm thinking, oh boy, (sighs) they're going to dump me. And so I I sat down with her and she said, I want to let you know something. I know that you're really discouraged right now. You've been going on these auditions. You haven't gotten any work, but we're with you. And I believe in you. You're so talented and just wonderful and we're on board so however long it takes we're there and i gotta tell you i was just like oh my gosh because what it did for me was it allowed me to stop trying so hard and within a week i booked my first job and then i booked another job and it was wonderful and then about a year later about a year and a half later hildy was so good young bright genius eddie murphy Uh, a big agency that assigned Eddie Murphy hired Hildy to be Eddie Murphy's manager and so when Hildy was leaving that agency to go to the other one I said, I want to go with you and she said, you can't I'm not taking you and so within about six months the fellow that owned the agency brought me in and he said, I don't see it nah, not for us you're gone broke my heart broke my heart But what I was realizing and what was happening for me was that conversation within me. So my wrongheadedness of of this dream and this path, all of that was preparing me for my life, my calling. It was all preparing me. I look back at it and I go, man, that's the best thing anybody could have done for me. That guy giving me my walking papers, man. Oh, the nerve of that guy. So painful. I look back and I go, thank you. Because the thing that was happening for me as I was doing more and more work and getting more and more immersed in it, I was becoming less and less happy. And I thought, this is weird. I was thinking this was going to answer all my problems. This is just creating more. And, but I had found this teaching. I had found the path of spirituality. And as I continued to dive in and dive in and started to fill that empty space within me from the inside out, all of a sudden everything started to change. So the things that brought me to why I wanted to be an actor were no longer valid for me. And that was really hard because then I was really lost because I knew I had the map. I drew the map when I was a little kid and I was going to follow the map. And all of a sudden the map didn't work anymore. So I share that with you because it's a real true story. And uh, I'm I'm actually writing about it in, in extensive detail right now because it's an important narrative, I think, to all of us, how life shapes us. Everything is for us. And when we understand that, then all of it's a gift. Even when people say, you've got to go away. That's a gift, too. So, I want to share with you one of Ernest Holmes' adventures of wrongheadedness. It's in his book, That Was Ernest. And I didn't read this at the first service, but it's worth noting because this is the founder of our tradition. He went to work at a lumber camp. And, uh, oh, yeah, I put it all on one page. That's right. He went to work at a lumber camp as a cook one summer. He's a young man, and he said that at the mill I was nicknamed Happy. I was always humming a tune, and he was tone deaf, so I can only imagine what it sounded like. <laughs> you might catch a few words of it and tell, and, and, and tell which tune, but really nobody knew what the tune was because actually I couldn't carry a tune. It was hum, 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 whistle, whistle, whistle. This combination irritated Big Pierre. One Monday morning, now he, he was in Maine, so very close to the Canadian border. Uh, this combination irritated Big Pierre one Monday morning as he lumbered into the mess hall red-eyed and short-tempered Big Pierre was a French-Canadian a veritable mountain of a backwoodsman a real-life Paul Bunyan whose six-foot-nine stature towered over everyone even sitting down and Ernest was very small he was five-foot-three with his heels on Okay. but this one day he was in no mood to confront anyone who was happy do you know anybody like that? He picked me up by the seat of the britches and he held me at arm's length facing his little deep-set seated, deep-set beady eyes in their forest of black beards spilling the porridge that I was carrying all over the latest clothing bequests from my next oldest brother. Ernest was the youngest of nine boys so he, he said I always had plenty of clothes because there were plenty of hand-me-downs. Hoppy he bellowed, cut out that damn whistling or I'll stomp you like an ant. And he dropped me face down in the widening pool of oatmeal to the great delight of everyone present anger welled up within the small pack he's like a hurricane you big moose i shouted it's a good thing my father isn't here ha scoffed goliath dot little peanut that did it he might ridicule me but not my father i kicked him on the shin and headed down the long hallway Letting out a roar like a gorged bull, he headed in hot pursuit. I was no match for the the giant steps. The giant bent down to pluck my pudgy legs from under me, and we ran out of the moving room at the end of the building simultaneously. I reversed field and scurried back between his legs as he lowered his head, collided with the stone wall like a battering ram. He stood to his full height and turned around, and his eyes had a glazed expression. I turned and faced him, and I said, Curse you! You will fall flat on your face! I cried, and he did. Straight out, all six foot nine of him, with three feet of arms stretched out at my feet. Someone at the table had called, Timber! (laughs) Just in time. And they had all the healthy respect for my word from that day on. I began to have some inkling that the word of man is creative, always creative. But we do not create destruction in anger. It was one of the few times I really let anger explode. And that's our founder. Okay. <laughs> now he didn't go on to be a cook the rest of his career, but he was discovering the principles as he moved along, and it's an amazing story. It's, it's a book called That w- That Was Ernest, written by somebody that was uh, um, chronicled his story. Reginald Armour wrote the book, and Reg worked with him for years. But we've all had experiences. Everything, if everything is for us, then everything we we step into is for us, informing us. And that is this perspective that we can bring to the world. And so we're doing this 9-11 event, and I think it takes courage to step up in the community and say, you know what, we're looking at this, and how do we make a difference in the world? How do we continue to elevate the conversation? How do we bring a different perspective to it? Not that we endorse it, and not that we support what happened. But how energetically at the, level of consci- at the deepest level of consciousness can we free ourselves to move forward? What was happening for me is that when I, I talked about my career as an actor, the guy that had the most clarity around the situation was the agent that said to me, because what he was doing was answering that d- discontent, that prayer that I had going on and said, golly, I thought this was going to be it. And this isn't it. And that was so inconvenient because then I had to figure it all over, out all over again. What, what, is, this, what is this about? You know, one of the big questions that comes up for a lot of people as we come to this, this idea, and there's workshop after workshop. If you ever want to fill a workshop, tell people that come and I'll, we'll, we'll collect our divine purpose together. What is, the, what is my purpose? Your purpose may or may not be connected to your career. Your purpose may not be a career activity. What I think and what, what Christian Larson wrote in this beautiful poem is what my purpose is but i can't speak to where your purpose is and where you are your journey is your journey you could have come no other way you can go no other way so until we extract from the environment and from the situations that which is most precious precious so that we can be the best possible divine expression of life wherever we are we're going to keep having the experience over and over again that's been my experience and and we've got to learn it in our own time in our own way To give the best to all the world with no thought of reward. To give unconditionally. To give the best of ourselves wherever we are. See, one of the things, and in, in, in David White talks about youth. One of the things I noticed, because I hired and fired many, many people in my career as a contractor. I didn't have the luxury of bringing some along really slowly. If you couldn't hit the ground running with me, it wasn't like I had this apprentice program and the government was funding it. Seriously and so what I had to do which is very interesting because in the politically correct environment we have and I'm not critical of this but there's a certain there's a sequential uh, and it's a good thing there's a sequential pattern and and path of events where you you do a certain amount of of discussion and inquiry and and nurturing and counseling and all that I didn't have the luxury of that I was a one two man shop if somebody couldn't cut the pieces and get them assembled fast enough we weren't going to make any money and so I was just a matter of saying to somebody, you know what, I can't use you anymore. We just can't do this this way. I didn't have the luxury. But the point is, is that I would watch young people come in and some knew how to work and some didn't. I watched my children. I watched my daughter. I watched my son. They're finding their way. I watch um, the, my 2 stepsons that live here in Edmonton with me. They're finding their way. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And, it's, and that's part of the evolution for them, the challenges and the disappointments they have. To give the best to the world with no thought of reward. To leave all recompense to him who doeth all things well. To live from that. To teach and demonstrate living from spirit. It's my purpose. doesn't matter if I'm shoveling snow out here in the summertime, if I'm cutting the grass, if I'm home with Laura. You know what? I was, I was raking plums. Dan, Secker, said he saw me. I was raking plums. I got this great big plum tree in our yard. It's beautiful this year. Full of plums. They're all really sweet. Like a million plums on that thing. The plum tree knows what the plum tree is. It just gives and gives and gives. It doesn't hold back. I was out there raking plums. I, I want to be the plum tree. Just give and give and give and give. This idea of hanging on in competition. But see this is and so this is this is a unique idea, what we do. We actually believe the world's getting better. We actually believe it's possible for us to evolve and to choose in a new way. So, if we find ourselves stuck, what's the new idea that's going to propel me forward? What must I do here? Is it forgiveness work? Is it can I, you know, with this idea of tithing? We're, we're doing the Prosperity Plus class here. It's been a wonderful class. Laura and I it's transformed our lives teaching it. We're going to teach it again this year. It's going to be on Sunday afternoons again. We did it on a two, two Sundays and a Monday. But I'll tell you what it's about. Life is about giving and receiving. And some people don't like the word tithing. You can call it percentage giving. What I'm telling you, that when you want to prime a pump, have you ever primed a water pump to get water? You've got to pour some water down there first before it's going to work. You've got to prime the pump. I had a neighbor with one of those. I used to love to go over in the spring. We'd prime the pump. We'd get buckets of water. Pour them down, we'd prime in the pump. Tithing is just the entry point. Tithing is just the start. Once you get that, tithing is the doorway for giving everything it's not just money it's everything and, so, and, and tithing is 10% of your good to your source of spiritual inspiration but it's also 10% of your time if you're awake 16 hours a day let's say and you sleep 8 that's, that's an hour what is that how many minutes is that 16 hours 10% of that 160 minutes is that what it is Tithe to yourself through spiritual practice. It's not just about money. It's about tithing to oneself, filling oneself up so that we're so, we're so clear, so we're so prayed up when we get somewhere that despite what's going on, we know, yeah, that's going on, I get that. But I don't buy into that. I don't support that. That doesn't represent me. I want to read something. It's a wonderful book, by the way. It's called The Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley. And this is really worth reading and, and, and sharing with you because it's so true, I, I believe, of what the world would like us to believe about the world. As the average age of a country's population rises, so people get more and more neophobic and gloomy. So as the population gets bigger, people get less and less inspired about life in the future. There's, there's immense vested interest in pessimism, too. No charity ever raised money for its cause by saying things are getting better. No journalist ever got the front page by telling his editor that he wanted to write a story about how disaster was now less likely. Good news is no news, so the media megaphone is at the disposal of any politician, journalist, or activist who can plausibly warn of a coming disaster. As a result, pressure groups and their customers in the media go to great lengths to search even the most cheerful of statistics for glimmers of doom. And this book's full of... Full of evidence, full of evidence of how things have shifted and changed. For 200 years, pessimists have had all the headlines. Even optimists have far more, have, even though optimists have far often been more right. Arch pessimists are feted, showered with honors and rarely challenged, let alone confronted with their past mistakes. Should you ever listen to pessimists? Certainly. He talks about the ozone layer and the things in the shifts and changes. It's probably a good thing. There's things that need change, absolutely. He said there are things that are getting worse without doubt. Traffic, congestion, and obesity. There's two things that are real, real challenges for us. Yet both are the products of plenty. And your ancestors would have laughed at the idea that such abundance of food and transport was a bad thing. There are also many occasions on which pessimists have been ignored too much. Too few people listen to anxieties expressed about Hitler, Mao, Al-Qaeda, and subprime mortgages, to name a handful of issues at random. But pessimism is not without its cost. If you teach children that things can only get worse, they will do less to make it untrue. I was a teenager in Britain in the 1970s when every newspaper I read told me that that <clears throat> told me not just the oil was running out, a chemical cancer epidemic was on the way, food was growing scarce, and an ice age was coming, but that my own country's relative economic decline was inevitable and its absolute decline probable. The sudden outburst of prosperity and accelerating growth that Britain experienced in the 1980s and the 1990s, not to mention the improvements in health, lifespan, and in the environment, came as a, quite a shock to me. I realized about the age of 21 that nobody, nobody ever said anything optimistic to me about the future of the human race. Not in a book, a film, or even a pub. Yet in the decade that followed, employment increased, especially for women. Health improved. Otters and salmon returned to the local rivers. Air quality improved. Cheap flights to Italy began from the local airport. Telephones became portable. Supermarkets stocked more and more kinds of cheaper and better food. I feel angry that I was not taught and told that the world could get better. I, somehow, I, I was somehow given a counsel of despair, as are my children today. See, we're, we're, we are a tradition of healthy-mindedness. We are a tradition of healthy-mindedness. And those stories are out there. All of those stories are out there. And we get to decide, and sometimes I think we forget... How important it is what we just agree to what we agree to the world is getting better and better and better. there's problems there's war there's hatred there's terrorism. I'm not I'm not denying any of this but consciousness precedes the experience and what we are called to do is bring a different perspective this pro- poem by Christian Larson is a, a tool to have What I'm going to do, someone asked me for a copy. What I'm going to do, and I'll have it available here so you don't feel like you're being manipulated into having to be at the park, but next week I'm going to have a process for us to do a service and I'll include that poem. And when we forget to have something like that, have a resource. Have the prayers of Ernest Holmes. Have the prayers of somebody. Have a prayer we've written that reminds us the prayers are tools to bring us back to the grounding of the truth of our being and to nurture that and grow that and stand in that. So despite what the amount of money in our, our checking account is, I've been short money at times. Anybody here ever been short money? There's like four other people here that have been short money at times. But the the subtlety of it is to say, I'm not broke. Most of us say I'm broke. Well, What kind of affirmation is that? I'm broke. What do you mean you're broke? Emotionally, spiritually, economically? I've never been broke in my life. I have never once been broke. I've been short cash. I've had to call people I owed money and say, you know what? I'm not going to be able to pay on time. Well, when can you pay me? Well, I'll pay in another week. Guy goes up to a guy and says, hey, can you borrow me 20 bucks till payday? The guy says, sure, here's 20 bucks. He says, when's payday? He says, I don't know. You're the one working. <laughs> I'm going to try that next week. <laughs> I'm going to be down at City Hall. If I can raise enough money doing that, I'm, I'll i'll be gone you guys i got i'll have another job and i'll let you know how it goes but see this is our challenge this is our opportunity this is our opportunity and to look at our life with with the perspective to go man you know what i am divine i'm not special i'm not unique but what my perspective is i am connected to a source of life that is powerful and wonderful I'm writing right now about an experience I had with my grandfather when I was a little kid, and it started me on this path. It started me on this path, and I just thought about it, and I just, I got to put this down because this is the foundation of what's propelled me on this. And I had an experience; it was a mystical experience, and I had that experience, and I've been my whole life have been after that. But without that, I don't know if I would have taken the path that I took. If my family were more loving and supportive, when I told them I was going to LA and I'm be an actor, they looked at me like I was crazy, like they were going to commit me. I remember when I started meditating. I took a meditation class because I wanted some peace of mind. I wanted to feel connected to something. And my, you would have thought that I told them that I was you know, I was, worship, I was doing, starting a, a devil worshiping group in the neighborhood. How dare you start to meditate? How dare you start to take care of yourself? I didn't understand at the time. I just knew I had to do it. They didn't know how close I was to, to, to totally self-destruction. The pain got me there. And then I got to tell you, it's heartbreaking to the people that you want their approval to say, yeah, you go. You know, I'm thinking, geez, I'll share this. And all my brothers and sisters, all 10 of them will want to meditate. No. But the point is, all of that was for me. And they're wonderful people. They didn't need the meditation. I needed it. It was for me. You know how you see a good movie and you want everybody you know and love to see it with you? They didn't want to go to that movie. And, 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 but I, you look, looking back, all of it, all of it, all of it is always for us. It always is. But it's shifting the perspective and then it's saying, you know, we look out on the world. And, and, and as, as this guy said, as Matt Ridley says in the book, the, the Rational Optimist, How Prosperity Evolves, we have never been more prosperous on this planet. Never. Are there people that are going hungry? Yes. But everybody's quality of life continues to rise. And we can, we can continue to be the, 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 the light bearers for that idea. I want the best for everybody. When I see suffering in the world, what is there, Dr. Tom Costa, you say, whenever I read the newspaper, it's a call for prayer. It's a call for prayer. What we can bring is the light and the truth about what we know. And we long for everybody. But I didn't get there overnight. When I came into those doors, I treated this teaching like a vending machine. Let's see, if I set an attention, and, I get, and it, was, it was all about the acting for me. See, if I didn't have that, that, that draw to the acting which was going to answer all my, my challenges and problems and was going to allow me to be rich and famous. I didn't realize I was rich already. And you know, and, and I can, I'm so good now at making stuff up about myself, I'm already famous in my head. I don't need anybody else's opinion. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It really is coming home to yourself. And then it is heaven. This is heaven right now. This is the eternal moment. It's a moment outside of time. And it's that space when we stand together in that. And then the ideas that want to... See, I was so scared growing up. I never had... I'm amazed anything came through. Because when we're scared, we go to that... The the blood goes to the the back of the brain, which is protection mode, survival mode. When we meditate, that frontal lobe is is full of blood. It's alive. And that's where creativity starts. That's where the, the loveliness, the beauty, that's where the songs get written that's where the poetry comes from I want to live there because when I live there then the things that want to be expressed I'm, I can get out of the way and let them be expressed and we can take a stand for peace and truth and I want I want the kids that I'm watching themselves get launched into I want them to build off my legacy and your legacy of possibility and opportunity and innovation that allows us to use energy wisely and, to, and allows us to use our to, to to call forth into our experience the right and perfect politicians that move this country and all countries forward beautifully and powerfully in an inspired vision, rather than fighting for the old ways to give birth to the new ways. You know, my heart was broken this week. I'm reading about these these uh, hockey players. There's three of the enforcers on the teams died. Um, there was Derek, Derek Bugard, grew up in Saskatchewan, um, uh, Rippin, and then there was uh, Belak, I think it's pronounced. All three of these guys were the fighters on their teams, right? When I first came to Canada and Laura had never seen a hockey game in her life, she said, why are these guys fighting? It's part of the game. It's part of the culture. And George Larocque was interviewed, and I saw it in the paper. So what they said, though, is that, oh, it's not, related to, it's not related to what they do. It's not related to their occupations. Really? And so how it ties into consciousness, and why I think it's important because it's a real situation. But all three of these guys, and, and they suspect two of them at least were of suicide. Bougard was a drug overdose, which to me is a suicide. But what George LaRock said is that when you're, you're an enforcer, you go to the movie the night before the game, and all you think about is the guy you're going to fight the next day. So you go to the game, you have the fight with their, guy, their tough guy, and then you go home, and you, and you go to bed that night, and you think about the next fight you're going to have. And this goes on throughout the season. This is your life. And he said, for many of these guys, and you guys, most people know who George LaRock was. He was the enforcer for the Oilers, and then he went to play with Montreal. He said, and then what's the only release you have is drugs and alcohol, because that's all we know. And so, the whole, and so when I started reading this and getting a kind of perspective on this, and what I thought about in consciousness is we are not geared for destruction. We are not naturally wired for pessimism. The the pessimists have had 200 years in the media of perpetuating this story of fear and gloom and doom. There's so many movies. When I was a kid, there was a movie I didn't want to see. Now when I see these uh, uh, 2012 and all this stuff about the the world blowing up, I don't want to see that. I watch it, and go, this is nuts. Even if that's going to happen, I don't want to see it. I'm not for that. But I've finally gotten to the point in my life where it's just I can't pander to that information. So here's these hockey players. and They've created this experience for themselves. And what it says to me is that our nature is one of goodness. Our nature is one of, of, of sharing and, and caring for one another. And when our work becomes working against that, whether it be because of the culture we work in or the aberrant uh, environment it creates for us, it, it diminishes us. It diminishes our lives. And I have such compassion for anyone that lives a life like that where there's struggles going on, where there's ignorance going on? And I don't know the answer to it, but all I'm telling you is when I look out in the world and I read the newspaper, I see consciousness being expressed at whatever level, and it's not a very high level of consciousness. And so I get to choose how how I interact with that. So when I see that, it calls me to prayer. I love those guys. I want the best for them and their families. You know, George Rock says we take away the fighting and you know, all these guys are going to be out of work and that'll create more problems. And, and maybe it will. So I don't know the answer. But what I do know is consciousness precedes experience. And, when, and for someone to say, no, that they, you know, they all died but it had nothing to do with what they do, uh-uh, uh-uh. That which we dwell upon, we become. And that's why it's so important. So if you're dwelling on something that's diminishing you in any way, shape, or form, partner with somebody. You know, when I had that, that, that agent that said to me, man, we love you. We love you. We want we're with you. I was like, oh my God, thank you. I mean I cried and cried and cried. Thank you. So I'm telling you right now, I love you. And I thank you for your love. We get to come together and we have this different communication. And I mean that from the healthiest and most wonderful way possible. And I believe in you. And I, I believe in the world. And I believe in our future. And I believe in the spiritual practice. It isn't about in a religion. It's about recognizing good wherever it is and celebrating that. And being a beacon of light and a tower of strength. And we're not about a religion. We're a, we're a way of life. And I love that. I couldn't do this any other way. If I had to save you guys, oh, forget it. <laughs> not because I... You, <laughs> Because you're not savable, It's not my job. <laughs> God, if I had to have all your answers? Man, oh man, forget it. That's not my job. My job is to continue to grow a bigger me. Just grow a bigger me. God, wherever I'm limited, whatever I need to know, please inform me and instruct me. That's the great news and the bad news because some days you get tired of it. You know? But it's, it's, it's such wonderful, worthwhile work. And I know that I've held the space for my children and the people I love so that they can have their own experience with it so when they come in and go oh my god what happened i can say tell me what happened tell me what happened i remember when laura and i got married and and her mom got really upset because i was so excited after the wedding and i threw everything in the back of my truck to haul home after the wedding and stuff's flying out of the truck on the way home cards and stuff from people and oh i had no idea i'm just all excited I got home, and, and, and Laura's mom was just fit to be tied, because she'd stopped, and she's off in the cornfield picking up uh, envelopes and stuff. I said, where have you been? She comes by 45 minutes later. Oh, my God. I had no idea. I was oblivious. And so I'm feeling bad, and my brother's with me. He came as my best man, my brother John. And he's, he, came, he was a generation behind the ones of us that plowed the ground with my mom and dad, so he had a whole different, he had a little lighter perspective on all of it, and he, He's, and, and so he's standing there he's watching Laura's mom go at me and, and watching me and I'm taking it all in and feeling bad and finally John after, she, after Laura's mom went in the house John goes man wasn't that great how mad she got <laughs> I thought yeah <laughs> thanks that's all I needed because uh, it was just her getting mad she, of course you had every reason to be upset and, um, but it lightened my load and I, and I thought thank you John for saying that and then we both laughed. It's all about perspective. It's all about bringing the best of ourselves to life and to the world. And so I thank you. I love that about you. I love it because you're bright and you know what needs to be done. And if you don't know, you're smart enough to say that something within me does know and I let that lead my way and I let that reveal itself. And it's best... Re- Where are you going? It's best revealed... <laughs> We're going to wait till you get back. It's best revealed, it's best revealed in the present moment. And that's why you do the spiritual practice. You don't do meditation to be a good meditator. Who <sniffs> wants to be a good meditator? I'm a good meditator. woo Okay. is isn't about that. It's, and it's being able to do it in a moment's notice, in the twinkling of an eye, to bring ourselves back to this. And that requires practice. That requires practice. And I just, I love that about you. Because you get that. You know that. And you take it out in the world with you. And then you're a blessing wherever you go. And then you're modeling this behavior. And you're living from spirit. You're doing that. It's enough. It's enough. Celebrate it. Declare victory right now and move forward. And know that there's something more for us to know and something more for us to do. And what what it is will make itself clear and it'll be right and perfect. If it is right, make it easy. And if it's wrong, make it obvious. If it's right, make it easy. And if it's wrong, make it obvious. Okay, it's not time. It's not time. I'm good with that because there's something else for me to do. It's a wonderful teaching. This is a wonderful, wonderful teaching. When I was reading Dr. Holmes, he said, the world is ready for this. And it is ready for this. The world is ready for you and I. It is. I've got to tell you that. I just know it. And, it. and things are getting better all the time. Because the compassion and the love and the clarity that we bring opens us up and, and, and compels us to do the right and perfect things for everyone. And that's an evolution, and it's a beautiful thing. We can't solve all the problems today. Einstein said everything can happen at once. That's why we have time. So let's be, let's be proactive in our time, in our, in our passion, and our commitment to the world. And I love that about you. I love your, the, the, the potential and the possibility and the beautiful expression, the beauty. I love it when Carla gets up and sings. I love it when our band plays. I love it when I get to do a wonderful meditation. I love it when I teach a class. I love it when we get into prosperity. Plus, Hey guys, this isn't about you being exploited, this is about you opening up to, uh, to an opportunity to give because as we give, we receive. We prime the pump of life. I love that about us. I love us stepping out and spending the money and the expense and the inconvenience of going to Horlack Park and saying, you know what, we want to do an atonement here. We want to do a process of forgiveness for 9-11 and then we're going to have a celebration in music for five hours to release the energy. Let's clear the space first and let's release our best. I love that. So thank you. Blessings, so it is.